not being anxious for anything. And we read this in scripture where Paul uh, wrote to the church in Philippi and said, I don't want you to be anxious about anything, but I want you to come to the Lord and ask of him what you need. And so we started by looking uh, the first week at how the Lord really wants to be our prince of peace and how peace is possible. It isn't always what we want. Sometimes we are more eager to have a little bit of chaos a little bit of crisis in our lives because that gives us significance, we think, and it also robs us of opportunities with God. So peace is the goal. Then last week, um, we took apart the, uh, the concept of fear and come to understand that there are some uh, elements of fear that are good and healthy for us. And so we saw that in the New Testament, in Greek, there's three different words for fear, and one of them is always a good thing. One of them is always a bad thing. And one of them is always a terrible thing, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. So it's kind of confusing, because fear isn't always the same. And we talked about how motor oil is motor oil, but, it's, but cupcakes are not cupcakes, right? So if you weren't here, you missed out. <laughs> Too bad. We're going to go on. <clears throat> I do want to talk to you today, though, about the concept of anxiety, because there are some differences between fear and anxiety, and we're going to pick those apart in a moment. Before I dive into scripture, though, uh, I've made it a, a point every week just to highlight that if, if you are dealing with issues of anxiety and fear that are overwhelming you, do not make the mistake of thinking you've got to go down that road alone. So you can talk to me, you can talk to Pastor Stephanie. Um, Sid's not here this morning, but you could always contact Sid. His, his cards, his business cards are out there, or I can give you his contact info. See another counselor or therapist. Do not do this alone because um, anxiety is real and it is crippling. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So see somebody to help you through this. And um, there are some great resources out there. Um, Sid and I have been talking about this because I've really been unpacking kind of the, the spiritual and the philosophical side of fear and anxiety and stress. That's what I'm looking at. And so what we're going to do uh, after next Sunday, next Sunday we're going to wrap this up on my side by just talking about stress and what stress is, how it works, why we've all got it. And then the week after that, the first Sunday in September, Sid's going to present to us from a mental health provider's perspective. And so you're not going to want to miss that because he's going to talk about some real applicable things that we can do to help us be healthier in our outlook when we face things that are threatening to us in the world and in our lives. So come back for that. Now, let's go back to Scripture, back to the Apostle Paul again. And so this is in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And Paul is reminding us that as humans... The things we see are not always as they are. And sometimes there's more going on than we see. And he says this to the church in Corinth. He says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. To knock down those strongholds. In another version, it says to knock down fortresses. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. 
we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Or maybe you learned this in another version that sounds a little bit more like this. We hold every thought captive. And so we're, I want you to just live with that for a moment. We capture these thoughts. We hold these thoughts captive because what we think is incredibly powerful in our lives. So <clears throat> think about this and keep this that in mind as we walk through this. Anxiety is a battle in our minds. And I'll go into more detail on that right now. You've probably heard it said, maybe not for a long time, because we've tried to get away from this kind of saying, because it isn't really truthful. It's kind of a false saying. But you've probably heard someone say, you know, it's all in your head. I had this said to me, you know, when I was a kid, and I go, Mom, I don't feel good. Oh, it's all in your head. Just get over it. It's all in your head. Or we've been around somebody who's kind of a hypochondriac, so every time there's a little ache, pain, or sniffle, they think, you know, I've got cancer or, uh, you know, I'm dying. And then we tell them, you know, it's just, it's in your head. You're just making it up. And so usually the interpretation is, you know, if you've been thinking that you are really that sick and it's just in your head, it isn't real. And you need to come back in touch with reality because it's in your head and it's a fantasy. It's fiction. It's just manufactured. You're just making this up. It isn't real. Well, the trouble with this, the reason why this is a fallacy and a falsehood is because things that start in our heads don't stay there. In the same way that things that start in our hearts don't stay there. And so Christ said to his followers, you know, what you have in your heart makes its way out through your mouth. That's what Jesus said. The things that you say are birthed in your heart and they come out. And I want to suggest to you in a very similar way, the things that we think and the things that we dwell on with our thoughts, even though they only might be in that ethereal realm of thought, become eventually things that we must deal with. And in fact, we tend to dismiss our thought life and go, you know, well, I thought about that, but that means nothing. Nothing came of it. And so it was just a thought, and the thought is gone. And we're so dismissive of our thought life that there are times when we think about things, and there are things that we should not be thinking about, but we entertain them because we think it's just a thought, it's just an idea, it's just something in my head, and so it doesn't really matter. And Paul tells us, no, we want to hold every thought captive because every thought matters. And so when we say, well, it's all in your head, it, instead of being a dismissive thing where we just say, you know, it would change if you just wanted it to change. Just change your mind. But some of us know that changing our mind is not a very easy thing to do. And changing a thought pattern that we've entertained for a long time becomes a big job. And for some of us, becomes a matter of work for the rest of our lives. 
We also know that if we've lived with certain thought patterns for a while, psychologists and, and uh, people that study the brain and neurologists tell us that if you live with certain thought patterns for a, pro- a prolonged amount of time, those thought patterns become set. They become ingrained. They become a part of our lives to where they just become automatic and it is very hard to undo those thought patterns. And so one of the easiest places for us to see this is with regard to what we're learning with post-traumatic stress from some of our soldiers that are coming back from the battlefield. But it's not just soldiers who've been in warfare. We see this with people who are out in Wichita today who are our first responders. And so these are people that are going from crisis to crisis. Their entire work day is a matter of, for a soldier getting shot at or shooting at somebody, for a a paramedic, it's a matter of showing up at another car accident followed by another car accident. For people that work in an emergency room, it's one broken body after another broken body, and you have to be on your game. And in fact, I would take this even farther because here's what I think. When we develop a life that is defined by moving from one crisis to the next crisis to the next crisis, we begin to have a thought pattern develop that is a survival mentality of just get through this crisis to deal with the next crisis. And when we are in that mentality, we miss out on the peace of Christ and we are not able to do the work of God because of the way that we have remapped our lives and our minds and our actions. And so I would just suggest to you that this kind of thing is not just seen among a soldier over in Afghanistan, But it's in our own lives if we have lived lives that are just repetitive crises. It remaps our brains and the way we think and the way we respond to things. So if we could just say, you know, it's just in your head, just just change your mind. The trouble is over time, those pathways become ingrained. Years ago, our family, we were able to travel to see some friends that live down in the deep south. And we took a route that took us down through Mississippi. And as we got to Mississippi, we left the interstate and we cut over toward Louisiana. And there's this road that runs from Nashville down to New Orleans. It's called the Natchez Trace. It's not really there anymore, but it was a road that people took when they did uh, the Uh, the economy and moving goods from the port of New Orleans to Nashville and back. And they took that road so much over the years that it was used that you can now stand where the Natchez Trace was and they wore a channel into the ground. And you could stand and it's like a little hill on either side of you because so many people walked there that it just wore the ground out. There's no longer a road there. You have to get off the road, and actually we had to hike a little ways to find it. And, but it is, it is unmistakable when you get there and you go, this is it, because it's straight and it's hollowed out. And in the same way, we as human beings have gone down similar paths that other people have gone down, and we've worn a road, and it becomes part of the way that we think. For some of us, it becomes part of our family story. So the way that my parents taught me to handle this was the way that my grandparents taught them. 
And over time, it's just our family tradition. This is the way we handle it. And we've worn a path. And in our families, we may not be quick to identify it, but it's there. This is what our family does when things like this happen. I've seen this recently in my family where a crisis arose and I got a call. And then after I knew that something bad had happened or something unfortunate had happened, I got a call from my sister who said, so did you get a call? I said, yes, I got a call. And then my sister said, okay, you know, let's talk and we need to, so we started kind of talking and then I realized this is my family's Natchez trace. We verbalize these things and we talk them over and, and we analyze these things to death and we also fixate on them. And so when I see my sisters, this is what we talk about and we just go down that pathway again and again and again and this is our pathway. For you, it might be a different thing. For us, we overanalyze and we fixate. For other families, you ignore it. Pretend it's not there. That's the path we take. For other families, you fight about it. And we could go on and on. And in fact, it's not just families. We can even push this out in a broader spectrum than that. There are ways that we in America have dealt with things, have dealt with crises, and that tends to pull back on us when another crisis happens. Well, we go back to the way we dealt with this before and we just go over it again and again and again. And the trouble is, if we didn't handle the previous crisis very well, we're going to handle the next one in even worse ways. So it sounds really pessimistic, doesn't it? Well, there's a difference between anxiety and fear. And I just want to set this up for a moment. I'm going to give you about three sentences about this, and I want you to watch this video. Fear is when there's a threat. If there was a lion sitting here in the room, I would be afraid. And if you're smart, you'd be afraid too. Because we'd look at that line, we go, that line could kill us, and it's probably going to kill Hank. You know, he's up, moving around, and he looks good. So the lion will probably eat him. After we've had a lion here, if we come back next Sunday, and I'm still afraid because I remember that lion being here, and the Sunday after that I do it again, I'm no longer dealing with fear. I'm dealing with anxiety. If the lion's gone... And I was not attacked, or I was attacked, but I survived. But every time I walk in the room, I see a lion. I think about the lion. I'm dealing with anxiety. This is what it looks like. Joel, I think you're going to have to fire the video. Thanks. Thanks. 